buckle up and get ready for the journey as we navigate the ongoing relationship between belief and life, theology and doxology, or as we like to say, theodox. Welcome to the Theodox Podcast. Welcome everyone to Theodox Podcast, where your hosts, Joshua and Gracie Calhoun. I mean, I'm not Joshua Calhoun. She's Gracie Calhoun, and I'm Joshua Brooks. And uh, tonight, we welcome a new guest, Philip Howell. Give it up for Philip. What's up? Oh, Philip. Great to be here with you guys. Wow. Yeah, thank you very much. Glad you could come. Y'all, please excuse my voice on this episode. I just came back from camp with 29 students after being there for six days, and it's pretty rough. But, you know, we're making it through. So, so tonight, we're going to jump into um, God's love, and I think... You know, first, I just want to point out that it's, it's interesting that, you know, um, and with his attributes, a lot of times we tend to kind of gravitate towards one uh, to the neglect of others and just kind of want to put out there that, you know, God, he, he embodies all of his attributes at the same time, mm-hmm. at the same level. And, and, and love, I think, is one. And you tell me if y'all think any differently here. But I think it's one that kind of gets highlighted above the others oh, for sure. more so than his other attributes. But but maybe with good reason, because I think you could argue that in every other attribute that he shows, he everything moves forth from him from a place of, of love in his heart and life. So even when he is showing wrath and he is showing judgment, it is a, a byproduct of his his love for his own mm-hmm. glory, a love for his children when he punishes the wicked. So I don't think that, again, I don't think you, you elevate one attribute above another. You have a lopsided, you know, God yeah, or anything. Yeah. But I do think that both holiness and love are those attributes that yeah. are uh, delineate his anger, which is a, a loving, holy anger, right. from my anger, which is, you know, pestilent and, <laughs> and quick and, and, and frustrated. And so, you know, I do think love is, um, is, is that big a deal for God. Yeah, I think he love, says yeah. he says God is love. Like he yeah. makes that very clear. Yeah, and Scripture also says though that God is a consuming fire. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, that um, you know, so there are a number of these that God is. God is just, and you know, so yeah, there there are certainly like holy. His holiness and love are kind of the qualifiers, or I don't know if qualifier is the right word, um, but sort of the. Def- yeah, definer doesn't seem right either. <laughs> I think qualify works in the sense that it, everything that he does is is holy. holy. It yeah. is it mm-hmm. is loving, and, yeah. and so even though we may not see it as loving, primarily because our definition of love hmm. is so selfish and 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 so skewed. And so if we yeah. put God in a box, like His love must look like my love. Oh yeah. Well yeah. then, clearly we we blown that. So let's do that. Let's just jump into like let's start with what the world, how our culture. What, what do we generally see as a, a definition or um, a, a visual of what, what is love? Oh, man, I just got <laughs> back from youth camp as well. Yeah. And one of the highlights of, of youth camp is is youth romance. Oh, see, I detest it. It's, oh, yeah. of course, it's, it's, it's abhorrent. I get yeah. that, right? Huge distraction. But, but in those little youth minds, Right, they yeah. they see little Sally and, and she is pretty and and she's at church camp and everyone's lovey dovey and so for them loving is certainly this this feeling that right. is, is yeah. instant and it makes my day better. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. I mean it, it gives me a little boost and a little shot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. definitely I think perceived as a feeling. 
in our culture as well, love, if you love me, you're going to accept me. You're going to accept what I do. You're going to accept what I think. Um, and to a degree that like, even like sins as well mm. that are blatant in scripture that are clarified as sin. But if you love me, you're going to accept that this is who I am. That's not what it means for God to be loved. But, but it, it, isn't that a great um, ploy of Satan? To say that I can't love you, I can't genuinely care for your well-being unless I absolutely accept everything that you see as good and right and true for your life. And just how shallow and, mm-hmm. and, and selfish that is, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and what a fallacy. I can love someone and disagree with them about you know, lots of things. Right. Yeah. I think also our culture is so quick to fall out of love mm-hmm. as well it's because it is such a feeling that it's like, oh, if I don't agree with what you're saying or if this this buzz or this like shot isn't here all of a sudden, I don't love you anymore. And it's just like that's all it's grounded in is this warm, fuzzy feeling. And so if I don't have that, then I'm out of, I fall out of love. Yeah. And so I'm like, just as quickly as we can fall in, quote unquote, love, we can also fall out of it. I think it's interesting that the world, I mean, and we're not saying the word in a demeaning way, but sure. just as us as a culture, like, I think it's interesting the word fell or fall mm-hmm. in love is so prevalent. Like, it's accidental. Like, oh, I fell in love. Like, mm-hmm. it was just something that just out of nowhere just happened accidentally. Right, and, it happened to me. But yeah. we've all watched romantic comedies, yeah. right? Where where we do, we just bump and they spill your drink on you and you talk yeah. and yeah. you're, you know, a, a, a greeting card salesman who's in town. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, that's what we, we see and we like that notion. If sure. you're unhappy right now, the promise that just made me today at the gym yeah. or at Walmart, I bump into someone and I, I fall in love. And my, my life is just instantly better. My troubles are yeah. gone and this person makes everything right in my life. And I think that's probably the key element is that what what we tend to, I think, have as an idea of love is predominantly self-serving. Yeah, it's circumstantial. Yeah, so like, and I, I like, I like the way that person looks and I like the way that makes me feel or I like mm-hmm. the way they treat me and I like the way that feels. And I mean, I think that's a lot of it. And, and obviously... We grow in love, right. and uh, I certainly like that understanding better than falling in love. Um, <laughs> fall, I mean, there's certainly, when we get into God's love and Christ's work and all of that, we're going to s- certainly talk about how God did stuff for us that like I didn't deserve, and it just came to me. And um, that's a reality, and we could maybe use the same language of falling in love, like something just happened, you know. But there's also the aspect of, you know, we work at love and uh, we work at the things that help those relationships build in a way that's not just self-serving. We as Christians view a love can be as self-serving as anyone else's. Yes. Now, what would y'all say the relationship is between love and hate? <laughs> well, the first thing that comes to my mind is that love necessitates hate. Or I don't know if necessitates is the right word, but like to think about God... God hates injustice. Right. And and that's explicit in scripture. And he hates injustice because he loves justice. And so and that's why I guess that the first thing that comes to my mind, and I think about even us with families, you know, I love my wife, my kids, my parents, you know, I love these people. Therefore, I would hate anything that would come against them. Right. I mean, so there's there is a relationship 
between us loving something, someone, and then having a hatred for the thing that would come against that. Mm-hmm. And we see that in God as well. And scripture tells us, you know, that, that, that to love God is to hate sin. Yeah. So anything that would hinder yeah. us or our family's relationships with him, there's a holy hatred that we can have for that thing that would pull us away from God and away from them. Yeah. So let's get into some just kind of the essence of God and his love. And I just want to think about, um, firstly, I'm just going to kind of preface it with uh, the fact that love for humans is just kind of a basic need. A huge need. Yeah. I mean, so when we think about we need we need water, we need food. Um, you know, we, we've watched the show alone. I don't know if you've watched any of that. Um, but, and I know it's a TV show. I'm not naive enough to think that, you know, Some but it's not staged. But it's interesting that n- numerous of those people, season after season, that and they're interviewed as they're going through the season and even afterwards, that yes, the survival was hard, but the being alone was like the thing that drove them nuts. Yep. And um, so um, I, I think it's really important just to highlight that, you know, the fact that we as humans, that is a very basic need of ours. And what one of the primary things that scripture is highlighting when it talks about God is love is that he is mutually satisfied giving and receiving love within the Trinitarian Godhead. So it highlights his lack of need, his complete satisfaction, his altogether differentness from us in that way. Like that's a basic need for us and it's not for him. And it makes his love such a powerfully unique thing. If you take a, take a, take a married couple, maybe their relationship is struggling. Now that couple say, you know, our marriage is not doing well. Yeah. We want to have a child. And if we have a child, then, then we'll love this child. It'll mm. bring us together. And, you know, this child will, will will help us be more loving towards it and each other. Now, of course, if, if you have children, uh, I love my three boys, but they make nothing in life easier. Okay. <laughs> um, so that's, that's obvious. But even if they have this child, like what they're saying is that my understanding and fulfillment mm. of love is wrapped up yeah. in this eight pound creature, eight pound baby. And just like with my wife earlier, like she couldn't bear that burden of Mm -hmm. me needing, you know, her love to fill me up. That child can't bear that. And so they're not going to be great parents because they're not loving this child because the child is fulfilling a need in them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So completely different. Whereas God has no need. Right. And so God creates us not because he's bored or lonely or, you know, wants a good laugh at us. He creates us out of the overflow of his love right. that we might share and enjoy him and his love. Yeah. Not that he had a deficiency no. of love. Um, yeah. And that's just a huge contrast, you know, to know that God is eternally satisfied with love. Like he's eternally loved within Themselves. Which is an interesting <laughs> notion, right? To think about that before creation, yeah. we understand it. There was a, a loving, edifying relationship between the, the Spirit, Jesus, and, 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 and the Father. Yeah. And, then, and, and so we kind of strain for words to, to get our head around that. But I think the big idea there is that God has no need. Yeah. He has no need for our love. Mm-hmm. Right. So I remember being a little boy in, in Sunday school, and it picked a God almost like a Almost like this kind of loser God who's like, please give God your heart. Please, yeah, he, please, please yeah. be friends with Jesus because he's really lonely. And, and 
you know, and the truth is that God's not. Now, God loves us and wants to see us mm-hmm. enjoy him, but it's not for that, like, I'm having a bad day, come love me kind of you know, yeah. mentality. Which truly makes his love so much more powerful and so much more meaningful to us as well is just the fact that he doesn't need ours and we aren't giving him anything that he doesn't already have fulfilled is like I feel like it just makes the love that he extends the love that we give just so much more depth to it so much more powerful and it's just it's so cool and so mind-blowing there's a great quote that I like I think it's from Paul Tripp that says I can love people more by needing them less. Hmm. So if I need my sons to love me, like I got to have that. I got to have their affirmation. I got to have their approval. Well, I'm not really going to love them. I'm going to be buddies with them. I'm not going to correct them. I'm not going to rebuke them. Are you going to use them? Yeah, whatever, right? Yeah. I, I need them to fill yeah. me up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, but however, if I don't need that, if I am full of the love of God, right? First right. John 5 says that we love others because he has first loved us. Right. If I'm full of his love, and I can in turn be loving. Yeah. And as Gracie said earlier, sometimes being loving is, you know, correcting sin and mm-hmm. bringing about punishments and doing things they don't find, you yeah. know, popular or easy because I don't need their love. Yeah. Well, that's you know? like in our culture today, like love and truth are so like opposing ideas. And it's so wild because we see in scripture <laughs> that truth is love. And to speak truth in a loving way is the best thing for us. That's exactly what we need. I need to be convicted. I need to know what areas of my life that I need to cut off. And that is loving because it directs me closer to Christ. And that he, because he is love, that's exactly what I need. And so it's so frowned upon in our culture to speak such truth because that's quote unquote, not loving one thing with God's, like for us to think about what does it mean that God is love, we tend to think of God's attributes. Like, let's take, just throw out an example, omnipresent. Okay, like we can't have any, we can't relate to that. And so we don't have a category for trying to think about really how does God's omnipresence um, like me. But then when we get to love, we always want to define that and categorize that based on what we know of love. Like we don't know anything about omnipresence. So we can't say, well, God is omnipresent, so he must be like whatever. But when we go to love, everybody goes like, well, God is love. So that must mean he's like what I think of love. And Mm -hmm. so we begin with a view of love that's down here on our level and our understanding and try to impose that on God rather than seeing from scripture what it says about God and what his love is. And that's why I think it's really important to begin with this, um, his lack of need, his fully satisfied, him being fully loved within the Godhead, because that strips it away from like our own definition or our own need to define that and say, that's just what scripture is getting at. It's like he is fully satisfied. And that's at the, at the essence of what it means that, that God is love. And if that's the foundation, then it shows that we have a long way to go. Yeah. Right? Like mm-hmm. Isaiah 55, it goes to great lengths to say that, you know, God is not a man. Like God is not like us. His mm-hmm. ways are not our ways. As high as the heavens are above the right. earth, so are his ways above my ways. And so when we reduce God's love down to a, you know, our understanding, yeah. it makes God really pathetic, really anemic, 
and somebody who we would just use to make ourselves feel good the same way as you would use little Sally at youth camp to make you feel good for that week and never call her back, you mm-hmm. know? So I think it's really insulting to God to superimpose our view of love on him. Yeah. So let's let's jump into what are some things that Scripture says about God's love. First John 419, uh, we love each other because he first loved us. So the, the foundation and bedrock of any love I have for anybody has to come from God's love for, for me. I'm not as holy as pastor over here. I just summarized <laughs> some stuff. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, like, you know, he loves his namesake. Uh, he loves holiness. Um, he loves his standards. Um, these, these are things that littered throughout scripture. I know you like when we're talking about that, he doesn't need our love and, you know, he's completely satisfied in and of himself and, and he loves himself. That can sound really selfish or arrogant in and of our own definition. Um, and I know we'll, we'll go through and we'll talk about how he loves his creation. Um, but it's basically in essence, like if he love something else more, that would be idolization, right? Yeah. And so just the mere fact that he loves himself completely is is glorifying himself. And that's not a thing that is for us to glorify anything but God would be idolatry. And for him to to love or to glorify anything above himself would be idolatry. So yeah. it's it's really cool. It's not selfish or arrogant at all at all because it's well, yeah. and, and, he is and, and, complete. On a practical level, God knows the greatest thing for us. Yes. Right? It's himself. Yeah. You know, just as we talked about his holiness um, a few episodes ago, um, that he's altogether pure. He's untainted. Mm-hmm. He's set apart. Therefore, his love that he has has to be holy also. Right. And so that's where it's another indicator that, you know, there has to be a holy love. Therefore, that love has to exist Again, they're eternally amongst the Godhead. And it's just cool to think that that's a pure, holy love. Like mm-hmm. there's no nothing tainted in it, you know. Um, that's just as you were saying, it, it's hard for us even as followers of Christ with the Holy Spirit living in us to um, love purely. You know, we, we all get this tainted self and sin and flesh in there. And, um, but it's just really cool to know, like, that's, that's there. It exists. Mm -hmm. And I say there, like it's way out there because God is both transcendent and near, but anyway, that's another whole thing, but (laughs) that's another attribute (laughs) for a different day. So like Isaiah 43, six through seven, the, uh, the prophet says, speaking for God says, bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who was called by my name, whom I created for my glory. Just thinking about, you know, he loves, like, again, that, I, mm-hmm. I know that some people hearing this are going to be like, man, we sounds like we serve. He's so self-conceited. A, yeah, like this God. And and, and the, the fact that he is loving, and this is going to move to how his love for us matters. That's right. right. So I think that's what's going to, yeah. as we discuss, it goes right. from, from that to this is why it practically matters. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and the older I get, the more I look at, like, every day. His love matters so much yeah. in my life. You know, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, Gracie already mentioned uh, people fall in love and they mm-hmm. fall out of love. Uh, Psalm 136, verse 26, give thanks to the God of heaven. His faithful love endures forever. For, that's yeah. one of those repeated refrains yeah. over mm-hmm. and over again in the Psalms and the, the whole of Scripture, like the drumbeat of the passage. It's yeah. that love endures forever. Because if it didn't, 
as God dealt with Israel in the desert, as God dealt with you and I, I mean, if God was, was fickle or had a bad day, there'd be no hope for us. I think one of the reasons it's important to understand this is just that the tendency uh, is to interpret God's love for us, again, by our circumstances. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, even for those of us who follow Christ, you know, or um, I say in the church, because I think a lot of times our church culture can kind of perpetuate what we've talked about. Right. You know, whether it's uh, prosperity or, or those types of messages that tend to um, connect this feeling or understanding to, well, when I'm obeying God, he loves me. Or when God loves me, he blesses me. And so we have a tendency to, to base God's love on our circumstances. And the more we start looking at God's attribute, his essence of love, and then we get into like his actions, as you were reading is what he's done for his children, then we're going to see a very different picture, a more uh, substantial foundation of what it means uh, that really, God loves us. It's really dangerous when you equate God's love for you with a certain set of circumstances that <laughs> he, has, he has given you. Yeah. Um, I, Red I, you flag. Know, I had yeah. a young man uh, that, I, that baptized. He and his wife had struggled with infertility for a long time, mm. and he was quite certain that now that he was a child of God, adopted into God's family, that God would bless him with a child. And wow. they continued to try for fertility treatments. They did not take. And so he renounced the faith and walked away. Because for him, if God was loving, as he defined loving, right. it would be to give me what I most wanted. What I most want was this child. And so mm. I think it shows from a, a pastoral understanding, if we're not preaching and teaching a, a you know love, like you said, as a, an exist of inside the Trinity of God, which is, you know, mind stretching for us, unless we teach the standard of love or reduce it down to our standard of love and yeah. our definition of love, which is inherently selfish, inherently need based. I'm not, I'm not saying this gentleman was, was selfish in wanting a child, right? but he definitely interpreted his struggles as a clear evidence that God did not love me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, now that you mentioned some actions, you know, from God based on love, I guess let's kind of move into a little bit more specific and just consider what are some specific actions where God is displaying love to his children. My wife was a nanny for our family uh, who believed that all discipline was bad for a child. I kid you mm -hmm. not. She worked there for eight weeks and the child was a complete and total train wreck. They believed that any discipline <laughs> would stunt his creativity. Wow. Uh, thankfully, after they let my wife go, they gave her like a $2,000 severance and <laughs> she was happy as day of her life. And so, but, but again, this idea that, that love is discipline, like love right. is, mm -hmm. is it's punishment when you're wrong. Love mm -hmm. is correction yeah. and it's unloving not to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so his love is going to look like, well, what is it? Romans two, where it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Well, yeah. what is repentance? Repentance is a result of knowing you're wrong. Mm -hmm. It's a result of conviction. And so it's not just that his kindness leads you to turning to Christ. His kindness is going to include you being wrecked over mm -hmm. and recognizing that you're wrong. Uh, so absolutely. Uh, the first thing I think of is, or was um, Adam and Eve, because I remember and I, a few weeks ago, I wore the Sproul shirt where he's, it's the, he's on a panel. And, what's wrong with you people? Yeah, what's wrong with you? Phil's <laughs> <laughs> um, like, I know exactly so what you're I'm just going to go and say this. It, it just, just go YouTube and, and type in RC Sproul, just the letters RC and then the name Sproul. What's wrong with you people? It'll be a good laugh. Um, but Adam and Eve, so we see a great picture of God's holiness and love. 
right in the, this moment um, because Adam and Eve, these creatures made from the dirt by the creator who breathed his life into them, dared defile him. And so like part of the question in that video is people go like, well, why was God's punishment so severe um, when all they did was eat a piece of fruit? And when you set the stage of like he actually breathed life into them and then they dared defile him, his holiness, that's that's what made that so severe. And then we see him turn right around and and kill the ram, clothe them, and have that as a visual to the lamb that would eventually clothe sinners. And so like it's a great picture from the first book of the Bible of God's holiness and his love right there together uh, for humans. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, that, that's one of the first ones that popped out to me. I think God's actions are, are, are shown in, you know, kind of bring it down on a grass level. God, he doesn't love his children. And yeah. I think he loves to see his children getting along, you know, church fellowship, community, relationship. Like I, he, he loves that. I mean, we we read in scripture, you know, the act of love and this this phrase of while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Right. Yeah. And when we think about this, this God, this holy, pure, undefiled who dies for us um, when we are rebelling against him, you know, that's like the ultimate epitome of God's love, sending Christ, um, him humbling himself and to satisfy God's righteous, uh, righteousness mm-hmm. and becoming like bearing our wrath and, and taking our sin and like imputing his righteousness onto us like that is obviously i'm gonna say a no-brainer but it is like such an ultimate form of love and just one of the biggest actions we see in scripture because it is what makes us able to be with him for all of eternity and that is the most loving thing ever i think what's missed a lot of times in that and this and i'm i'm not wanting to like dodge the fact that god loves us because he does right but even Jesus's actions on going to the cross were for the love of, his, of the Father. Right. Like it's, again, similar to Adam and Eve, but in a greater way, Jesus dying on the cross was a picture of God's holiness and love meeting once again. Mm-hmm. And his wrath being meted out, his holiness and his justice being worked out, and yet his love as well for humans, but also Jesus's love for the father and his obedience to him. And um, yeah, it's just a great picture of both of those. Cause I think a lot of times Jesus and God get kind of pitted against one another. Like God of the old Testament says mean God. And Jesus is the one who loves and see, he died for us. So he loves mm-hmm. us. And that's true. But his love is also for the father. And it was also to, to um, be the crossroads of God's holiness and justice and wrath love one of the things for me has been big by the past 10 years is the the one-sided nature of god's love right go back to the abrahamic covenant right he takes mm. abraham yeah he, he splits the animals and and abraham sleep doesn't do anything right and, and, right and god walks through and god is saying that i am fully and completely committed to you no matter what for mm. me coming up god's love was presented um, more as a tool to induce guilt on my behalf that mm. God has loved me through as Gracie said through sending his son to die for me right now in light of that 
I, I must live for him and I, I must go to church mm. and I must do right because I must be worthy of this great act of love that he gave me. Mm. Now, all those things are true, but the burden for me was I, I never felt I was good enough. I, I couldn't be good enough. And so even though this free act of love really became like a tool of law and manipulation to modify my behavior. Mm. And so for me, when I look at God's love being shown through adoption, uh, we, we adopted our third child, best thing we ever did in our entire world. And to look at the fact we were under no obligation to adopt him, we, right. we chose to adopt him and in doing so gave him a new future and a new hope. And we were committed to, to him no matter right. what comes his way. Good, bad, or indifferent. And so he had nothing to do with that adoption. He right. just simply he was, was adopted. Right. Yeah. And so God freely places his love upon us. Right. He, he opens our hearts, opens our minds. We respond in gratitude to him. Yeah. And we receive this unilateral, one-way commitment that makes my ability to love God free and um, you know, flow out of place of gratitude sure. and not out of a sense of, of guilt wondering if if I've done enough. So now kind of moving into, even though we could just dwell on this topic for hours and hours and and really dive into this yourself in your own studies as well. Um, but maybe like, let's kind of go into some of the doxology part of this. And so how does growing in our understanding of God's love affect us and lead us to worship? Psalm 95, verse 6. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. We are the people he watches over, the flock under his care. So obviously when we look at the way in which God manifests his love for us, mm. not in the you know weak, anemic, emotional way, but in the fully orb picture of, of discipline, c- commitment, growth, you know, his love never fails, yeah. carries me through hard times. And in response to that, the only real thing that we, we can do is, is worship and praise him for what he's done. Yeah. I, th- I think is another good example of um, why our overarching view of salvation matters. Mm-hmm. Um, because like we talked about a few weeks ago, but uh, I know for me, what I have found and is the best way for me to look at the overarching view of salvation is union with Christ. And to think about this in this sense, if, and I say if, but since <laughs> change that <laughs> yeah since um, the Godhead is mutually loving eternally mm-hmm. and and that knowing that to begin with God is not is in any lack love is there eternally eternally past and futuristically and that doesn't even make sense but <laughs> um, but if I have been joined with Christ and if I am now, in Christ, and Christ is eternally loved by the Father and the Holy Spirit, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. giving and receiving love, then I am eternally loved. Yeah. Like, I don't have to be concerned about or worry about being loved. And so that's okay. one way for me uh, that it really affects, um, you know, that understanding of knowing that my union with Christ means I'm eternally loved. And nothing can break that or change that. And I don't ever have to worry about whether I will be loved or not. No, that's, that's such a powerful thing. I think if I thought young people who are struggling with, with feeling loved and valued, right. 
I could argue that most of our actions, what we wear, what we say, what we do, what we don't do, all come, we're screaming like, love me, love me, love me. Yeah. And you know, you mentioned union with Christ and, and Paul says over and over again, we're in Christ. Yeah. So what is true for Christ becomes true for us. And I remember reading uh, the baptism of Jesus huh. years ago and a commentary by N.T. Wright. And, and he made that statement. So when the father says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That when we become in Christ, we're adopted children yeah. that are, are loved. And this is it's just, you know, again, having, having adopted my, my third son. Um, we're, we're loved by the father with the same fervency and, and inner Trinitarian love that existed before all of creation. Right. That we're loved with that love. That he doesn't love yeah. us like second class children. We're fully adopted children. Yeah. Paul says we're co heirs with him. Heads, yeah. Everything that's true for him is true for us. Yeah. And when we get that, and it gives us a, a, a unflappable confidence to, to live and obey and serve others, I can serve you. And if you're a jerk to me, hey, okay, I might, you know. I may not like it, but I'm loved. It doesn't hurt that, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's an eternal wellspring of love he gives me that the only natural thing we can do is outflow to other people. Yeah, I think I think sometimes, like, it's one of the reasons I take issue with kind of the blanket statements to people out on the street or wherever. God loves you. God loves you because it just seems like that's just so empty. So like, flippant. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's so, like... If, I think if that were, if I were hearing that, I'd probably want to go like, based on what? Like, what does that even mean? What's the foundation of God loving? And then what's the foundation of him loving me? Like, what is, what is that even based on? Mm-hmm. And I, I know for us, like even within the church, you know, we can say God is love or God loves you. But this understanding of, of love and me being tied into that Trinitarian love, like takes it to another level. Mm -hmm. And this is why knowing God's attributes are really, really important because so many times in scripture, well, here here are a couple of examples. Um, In Philippians 1, you know, when Paul um, says, um, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. He goes down to verse eight and basically attaches that to Christ's affection. Like the reason that he's going to bring that work to completion is because Christ loves you. Mm -hmm. And so on and on and on again, you know, even as um, I forget the passage, one of them you mentioned earlier, but we love why? Because he first loved like it. Our actions are tied to the, the imperatives given in scripture are given quite often tied Mm -hmm. to God's work and his actions for us. Inherently living a life of worship means when I am not loving and I don't feel like showing love, the issue is is always with me, right? Like yeah. I've broken off this wellspring of eternal yeah. love he committed to me. And so you're not the issue. It's, it's I am the issue, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, God's love for his children is unending. And likewise, our love for each other should have a similar, should have the same quality, actually. Yeah. You know? No, um, it's super humbling as well because it's like, you know, I know myself and I read about myself in scripture as well. And so I see where God- well, look. <laughs> you know, the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E. You're in there? <laughs> oh, your grace is in there, so there you go. Yeah, duh. <laughs> um, you know, I'm not saying it is a story about me. We already oh, okay. talked about right, that. Right. But I can find my identity in it. <laughs> okay, devil's advocate. Yes. <laughs> um, anyways, 
So it's super humbling because, you know, I read in scripture or he says, you know, he loves the ungodly. Mm. And, you know, while we were enemies. And so I'm, I'm reading that and I'm saying, I am the ungodly. I am the enemy. And so he extended that love while we were still in that state. And when we struggle with that state to this day, um, and it's so humbling, but yet at the same time gives us such a confidence because it's like this love that I have received, I can now give to others. And yes, we should at the same level. <laughs> I know we don't do that perfectly whatsoever, no. but that unconditional agape love to love our enemies and to love those who are unlovable and to love the ungodly. Like it's so easy for us to be so judgmental. And yet we were on the same level that they are now. So it's just, it, it levels that playing field. We were, we are as undeserving as anyone else. Right. And so when we think about God's love, it's knowing that he acted in spite of the undeserving nature of us. Uh, It's the Romans five. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. us. You may have already quoted that. I don't know, but, um, I know another way so that the love of God affects us is knowing that God's love has not only united me to Christ, but has united others to Christ. And so when we get into uh, understanding, you know, what Paul is talking about, especially in first Corinthians, you got chapters 12, 13, 14, 11 through 14, but a lot of them you're really about the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. And so you have many members, one body, many people, one spirit, you know, you, you have, so God's love is working in a way that is drawing other people and uniting other people to himself, which means we're united to one another. And you have, of course, the great love chapter in 13, where everybody loves to read that one at weddings. Um, but it's interesting, the one that I think gets left out because love kind of gets very pandering and very uh, approval kind of oriented. But the one statement in there that that kind of keeps it from just being that is that love rejoices with truth. And so there, it can't be stripped away from that um, because, well, it's also like we all know that lying isn't loving. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to go around and and well, we can get into that attribute of God as well as far as being truthful and trustworthy. But um, anyway, so, yeah, just knowing that. Um, one way God's love affects us is should affect how we think about our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I think it's neat too, because when you look at, you know, Paul in those few chapters, you got a church that has some divisions. They have some, they have some issues. And certainly if you were putting it lightly, uh, sure. But if you look at the way in which, you know, you guys worship across town from, from where we worship, we're at three different churches Mm -hmm. and there's different beliefs and practices amongst all of us, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, we're all in this family together. Right. And so there can be a, a love and even though there's differences here, right. Mm-hmm. And again, we're not talking about major doctrinal things, we're talking right. about practices and nuances and, mm-hmm. and whatnot, but it's cool to me to think about, you have these brothers and sisters who, who do love and care about you or they should love and care about you. Right. You know, and it's a bigger picture than we get just living me and Jesus all alone, isolated. Yeah. And it's within that context of the church where love isn't just willy nilly. We allow anything to go on. It's where God's, um, his discipline, which is out of love, operates also. And so because we care for one another, because as we would our children, you know, we, we, we don't just give our kids Skittles all the time because that's what they want. 
you know, we, we have parameters over what they should eat or what things they should do or shouldn't do. And, you know, so it's not overbearing and that's another whole conversation, but just to say that love includes just as God's love includes discipline, his body, the church does also amongst us. There is a loving understanding of where someone is, yeah. what someone's facing and in loving and truth, we want to bring them you know, to where yeah. iron sharpens iron. We want to bring them closer to Jesus just as we are. Yeah. And I think, um, sometimes within our culture, you're going to sacrifice one or the other. You're going to lay one on the altar of sacrifice for the other. And I think that's what tends to happen is either we're going to, we're going to, we're going to say love, 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 love so much to where we're going to sacrifice truth for the sake of unity, or we're going to stand for truth to the point where we sacrifice any sort of compassion and care, um, for the sake of being right. And so that's where, you know, it's really, really important for us to know that being truthful lovingly is what we see in Scripture. So what you're telling me is HWTF. Is that what you're telling me? (laughs) He would. Truth love? Truth first. Jesus would. I don't know. I don't know what Jesus would do. (laughs) It's hard because, right, if you look at the Gospels, you have different pictures of of what Jesus does, right? You have the rich young ruler. He broke bad on him real hard. You sell everything you have and come follow me. Love for him was confronting that man's idolatry because he viewed his life as having nailed the Ten Commandments from his youth and never done anything wrong. Oh, that, that. All truth. Wow. that, That verse is explicit in Mark 10. So whenever he comes to him, and Jesus says, well, what's the law? And he says, all these things, and I've kept them since my youth. And it says, and Jesus loved him. Mm-hmm. And then he said what he said to him. So love was first, but then he hit truth. But it's all in the same. Yeah, that's right. And and so it's like, it's wild to think that that his sharing the truth wasn't absent of love. It was an action of love. Because the very essence of what he's trying to do is point him to, to himself. himself. Yeah. That's what is going there. So he's not just trying to slap him in the face for no reason. The only reason he is giving him truth is trying to open his eyes to his own sin and his own heart issues. So that way he can see his need for Christ. Yeah. And, and that is love. And Luke 15, 1 really says the same thing. But Luke 15, 1, of course, is the Pharisees were jealous because tax collectors and sinners were being drawn to him. Right. So there was a, a welcoming and an acceptance and a, and a loving quality. Now, of course, he wasn't going to leave them there, right? He was not like, oh, yeah, you like the prostitution. No problem. Just yeah. keep down that course <laughs> of life. But but yet they were drawn to him because I don't think initially he rubbed their face in their wrong the same way in which, you know, he, he the others might have done. Right. Although, again, you go to, you know, woman caught in adultery, right? Yeah. right. Uh, who stoned you? No one. And the last thing he tells her is what? <laughs> Go and sin no more. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> you know, again, I think it's a really artificial um, dichotomy to play love against truth, truth against love. Right. As you said to start with, love is an overarching characteristic of everything that he does. Yeah. So all of his actions are always love. Love brings us into that Trinitarian union with God, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And so in that case, when we look at the life of Jesus— Right. Okay. Everything he does is, is love. So I want to wrap this up by just noting here a verse because it's really, really, really cool. And I just want to encourage everyone that when you read scripture and you read uh, commands, for example, um, to note the basis for those commands and um, to note the basis for 
the instructions that God has given or the correction or whatever. So this one, uh, for example, um, is in Ephesians 5. It's the opening of the chapter. Um, Paul says, therefore, be imitators of God. So there's your instruction. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Okay, so there's your, like, it's not just saying as little children. No, as beloved children. It's, it's because the same baptismal language. Remember Jesus, yeah. the Father says to Jesus, my beloved son in whom yeah, I well please. exactly. So don't, you're only going to be imitators of, of God because you're his child. And becoming his child is not anything any of us have done to deserve or force our way there or get ourselves there. So it's just cool. Like he's going, be imitators of God as beloved children. And then he goes on and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So it's just even that part, walk in love as Christ loved us. And so it, I just want to encourage everyone to see God's attributes and to see these as the foundation for what we do, what we believe, how we understand God and how they affect our hearts and our lives and move us to greater worship of him. I think it's a, a wildly practical truth to understand mm. that God's love is selfless and flows from right. the very essence of the Trinity to us by an act of his kind graciousness to adopt us into his family and bring us into brothers and sisters in Christ that we can show that love to and and we can work, right? John 3, 16 yeah. does say, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So our familiar love that we have right. is not the exclusion of other people. We want to invite them in that loving relationship with God that we have as well. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing God's love means that he will for keep me forever. Ooh, yeah. Forever is one of the greatest motivators for worshiping him. Like seriously, he has me forever because of his abiding love that he is complete in. I guess is this just kind of the question of, are we really worshiping God for who he is? And so I think it's really important for us to just, mull over God's attributes to go like, man, I want to get to know him. And that's really going to be the thing that drives me to greater worship is like, this is what God is like. And this is crazy amazing um, because you're right. Knowing that he'll keep me forever is like the greatest yeah. motivator to worship uh, because I'm in that eternal love with God. Uh, thanks for listening, watching whatever format you're uh, taking this in. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, things you'd like for us to discuss or uh, things you'd like to rebuke us on, you can send it to <laughs> theodoxpodcast at gmail.com or you can send all the rebukes to Philip's email at... That's right. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Y'all take care. Adios. See ya.